the scripture this morning comes from the chapter of Mark, I mean, from the book of Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the lake, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him, even with a chain, for he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I abjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down, to, down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned in the lake. The swine herds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the dem demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they were, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lorraine. Voices. How many different voices do you hear in a given day. Whose voice is the most influential? Whose is the most annoying? Whose voice makes you stop and pay attention? Over the course of the past couple of weeks, you've been invited to listen to the voice, to listen 
in the silence of a chaotic, noisy culture. And last week you were invited to listen to a voice that awakens you to not sit back passively, but to take action to hear a voice of God. But what do you know about your voice? How does that inner voice of yours emerge and find resonance as an expression of your personhood and of your journey of life? When does, those, when does that happen? And, and what kind of circumstance evoked that voice to begin to make sounds? Well, I'm not talking about my boys who live at my house whose voices are changing from little boys into adolescence through puberty. But I'm talking about a voice that comes from within you. And it's evident that it is your voice. There are illustrations in Scripture. I think about in the Old Testament about the prophet Eli, when young Samuel was given by his mother for Eli's influence in his life, and young Samuel hears a voice at night, and he goes to Eli. You remember that story? Three times it happens, and on the third time, the wise prophet says, when the voice speaks to you again, say, Yes, I hear you. In the New Testament, there are lots of stories, too. One in particular takes us to the last night of Jesus' life. You remember the scene. Perhaps it's a a courtyard outside the office of the Sanhedrin, which were the priests who were responsible for administrating and keeping up with the laws. And Jesus had been arrested in the garden, and Peter had followed. And there he was lurking in the shadows of a fire, campfire. And someone heard him speak, and they challenged him and identified him as one of Jesus' followers. And he vehemently denied ever knowing Jesus. Isn't it interesting if you know that story that just a few hours earlier around the table when Jesus had washed their feet and offered them cup and bread and he said one of them would betray him. Peter was the one who said, Lord, never I, never, never I, not me. Peter's voice was the voice of fear that night. And then just a few weeks later, In John 21, there is a scene of this same Simon Peter who comes out of the boat where they'd gone back to what was comfortable and normal, fishing. And he stands on the beach, and Jesus calls him apart and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, but Lord, you know, I love you. voice of confession. And even a few weeks later after that, this same Simon stands in the city of Jerusalem upon receiving the power of the Holy Spirit and shares the gospel message of the saving love and grace of Jesus as Lord and Savior for the whole world. How different does that voice sound 
from the one lurking in the shadows of a campfire. This Simon Peter's voice grew as the experiences in his life changed and challenged through suffering and redemption. From a howling, vehement, fearful voice into a voice of hallelujah. Sam, I had no idea that song was going to be sung today. We might look at another story that Lou Ann just read. A story about transformation from a howl to a hallelujah. Jesus, in chapter 4 of Mark, has been teaching. He's been over on the kosher Galilean shore not on the Gentile shore of the Sea of Galilee. As you read the, Mark, the book of Mark, this is extra. I won't charge for this. As you read the book of Mark, Jesus is constantly going back and forth and back and forth over the Sea of Galilee with the disciples. And just before they left the shore on the Galilean side, he told the parable of the good soil. You remember that story for? A sower went out to sow some seeds, and some seeds landed on the path and in the rocks, and amongst the, the briars and vegetation, and, the good, and some good seed landed on some good soil. He told that story. And as they were going across the Sea of Galilee, they looked over on these tall cliffs. You know what they, we call them today? The Golan Heights. And they, they cross and climb up the mountain, and no sooner did they get on the top of the ledge, the scene changes dramatically. A horrible-looking creature takes center stage. He was human. But he was a sight. Imagine him to be something of the following. You can use your own imagination. It would probably be better. Wild hair. Gashes and sores over all his entire body. Bits of chain that have been broken, still attached by shackles. Scantily clad and stinking really bad. Mark tells us that no human could bind him, no chains could hold him. He lived among the tombs and hillsides, and reports tell us that he's been heard to howl and scream. He's a man possessed by evil. However, from the get-go, it is apparent that Jesus is the one who is in charge Jesus confronts this man and the circumstances. And when the evil speaks to Jesus, what have you to do with me? Jesus takes the upper hand. The demons are, have been said to be as many as a legion of soldiers. And in Rome, a legion was 6,000 men. They cower when Jesus speaks. They ask to be sent out of this man into a a herd of swine and the swine run headlong down into the sea. And if you don't know much about ancient, the way the world was structured, the ancients believed we lived in a three-tiered universe, the heavens, the earth, and the underworld. And the only way evil could be sent back into its original place, Hades, was through the water. That's why Jesus sent the pigs down into the water so that the spirits could be released 
to the underworld because Jesus had power over the whole creation. There was another voice in the story. It was the voice of the people who come to investigate. They were the inquiring voice. When they see the formerly possessed man sitting at Jesus' feet, they're fearful. They want Jesus to leave. They like the way things used to be. I mean, heck fire, it was a nice little town where you could raise a family until Jesus showed up. They'd gotten used to the wild man. They got used to him living out there. They had marginalized him. He lived among the tombs out of sight, out of mind. But like I said, Jesus showed up. Rene Girardo theologian in his book the scapegoat said of the townsfolk clearly the drowning of the pigs concerns them less than the drowning of their demons what is mark trying to say to us in this fifth chapter are the people upset because there is an economic setback or is it the fact that these folk weren't ready for change Or could it be that these people weren't open to God's presence and what his presence does when it confronts evil either personally or institutionally? They resisted the voice of Jesus and they couldn't accept that Jesus would heal this man and restore him. Their way of dealing with him was to ostracize him Jesus came over the Sea of Galilee and with a voice that had raised the dead, that had calmed the sea, that had healed the sick, Jesus' voice released this man and turned his howl into a hallelujah. How do you know? Because the man wanted to go with Jesus. He was ready to follow. And Jesus evidently recognized in this man a more powerful voice that could make an impact where it's the hardest place to live in your own backyard. Because everybody knows you. They know whose boy or whose girl you are and who your mama was. Sometimes that could work for you, but a lot of times it works against you. This man is the exhibit A in answering the question that Jesus raised in chapter 4. Who is the good soil? 
in the least likely of people and places, the voice of Jesus plants a seed in the faith of the most unlikely of souls. The demoniac was the good sower. Even if the seed Jesus planted was as small as a mustard, no longer does this man's voice howl. But with every testimony, it is a hallelujah to the power of God's redeeming love. Do you know some stories? I know some stories about that. I got, in fact, I have permission to tell this story. It's about Mary. That's not a real name, you know. But I talked to her this week in light of this text. I thought about Sidney all week long, the young man who came to sing with us who had a story, and he read the same text because it's his story. I was organizing a group of people in one of my former churches about 12 of us, to spend a year reading and studying and writing and reflecting as an intentional act of discipleship. Mary was fairly new to our church, and she'd come from a different state, and she'd come from a pretty different background, but I wanted her in there because I was trying to have a group of diverse folk in our congregation. And I can remember about six or seven weeks into our sharing, which was about two hours on a Thursday night, Mary told us her story. She was one of three sisters from a seemingly nice middle-class family who from the time she could remember, she and her sisters were abused in the most worst imaginable way you can think of by their father. And she stuffed all those experiences and memories down in her soul and became withdrawn and sometimes even hostile. She found herself in a really bad place at home and her only escape was to get away. She was smart enough and she went to college. And when she was in college, she met a young man who for the first time anybody had ever treated her with dignity and respect. Eventually, over a course of three or four years, they continued to date and they got married. And she began knowing that she needed help in her life if her marriage and intimacy was going to grow. And so she began a journey of counseling. And she found her way. And eventually she found the love of Jesus Christ in her life and even received deeper healing and a place of trust. She found her way out of living in the tombs. The night she shared her story with our group, it opened us to a deeper means of grace. Mary had found a voice, a voice from her past that transformed a howling silence into a beautiful hallelujah. Today, she's a counselor, and she's ministered to people who find themselves in moments of despair. And in her, they find a voice of mercy and hope. And she encourages them in turn to find their own voice. And 
I started thinking about you this week and some of you that I know better than others in this past year. And I wondered about your stories. And I wonder about all of you here. We live in a world where sin has a powerful way of marginalizing people who we don't understand or people who've been hurt with words or deeds. And it is very easy to cower and hide in the tombs of despair than open ourselves up, often with good intention, to one who can speak a word of hope and healing to us. Experiences of trauma and death and divorce and addiction can send us to the tombs to live in misery. But we don't have to howl forever. There is hope and there is healing. Jesus still shows up in times and places. He may be in the form of a caring friend or a health care professional or a youth leader or maybe even a pastor. You need to trust that you have a voice. You have a voice that can be God's seed of planning, of healing and hope. And when you claim it, following Jesus in this community or wherever that voice leads you will take you to encounters that you least expect. And when those things happen, it is a matter of trusting God in the moment to speak through you and to follow his direction. It's about timing and being aware and paying attention. I think about one of the ministries in this church that Evelyn Wiseman helped get started a long time ago. And today it's still effective. It's called the Divorce Recovery Workshop. I think about the hundreds of people over the years who've been invited to come out of curiosity or desperation or whatever their motivation has been. But I also have heard stories about how hard it is where people drive around parking lots like they did and to stop and to get out of the car and to walk into a building that may be familiar or unfamiliar and walk into a room and see the faces of other people whose lives have been broken and humiliated by divorce. But if they stay, if that seed finds the good soil, watching them take steps of moving out of the tomb, into a place where they find healing and they begin to find a voice. What I find interesting and ironic is that my friend Mary in the last church started a divorce recovery ministry before I left. And I got to walk in that room and I got to see those faces that first night. But I got to come back at the end. And I could see and I could hear. Thank hallelujah. Thanks, praise God. And I knew. Nobody had to tell me. I knew that Jesus had been there. 
don't live in the tombs and how Jesus can help you discover your hallelujah and when you do no telling where he's going to send you in the name of the Father and of Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen as we transition from this word would you respond generously as we share in the giving and the receiving of God's tithes and offerings. I want to say this. I don't say this often enough. We don't say it often enough. If you're a guest here today, this is not something you need to participate in. If you want to contribute, you're welcome. But this is what we do to, to support the ministry here. And this is a part of what it means to be a part of the life of this church. So if you're a guest today, enjoy the music. We welcome you to come back and be part of who we are. Shall we share in this moment together?